Greetings and salutations, board game fans. The Dice Pirates are back with episode 21. Today, we're going to be doing a bit of a board game adjacent episode. We're going to be talking about video games for board gamers, games that really kind of scratch that same itch that you can play you know, on a computer, you can get the digital feel in, but that really kind of inhabit the same space. I'm your Captain Ian, of course, joined by Aaron and Matt. Guys, this is episode 21. We've been doing this for almost a year now. How do you guys feel about that? I'm shocked. Any day now, the board game uh, council is going to shut us down. Uh, there's got to be some regulatory body out there that's watching over this, but they just keep letting us do it. I think we should keep going, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a as a, a, a late addition to the crew, uh, I, I think it's it's going. You know, say we give it the old college try. Keep going. Yeah, no, it's been a blast. Uh, I mean, I really appreciate all the people out there that are listening when we started i was fully uh, prepared for this to just be our uh five or ten closest friends uh listening and that would have been fine but there are uh dare i say dozens if not dozens and dozens of people who enjoy it every week and we really appreciate all of you who uh enjoy the show we're gonna keep making it till somebody uh, tells us to stop it has been an absolute blast for sure we're going to move right into our soapbox topic, of course, as we always do. Matt, I know there's something that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, guys. So we played a game this past Sunday during the uh, Dice Pirates Sunday Night Game Night, and I really am excited to talk about it because I feel like it maybe is a a bit of an overlooked game, uh, which is probably an odd thing to say for a major release from one of the largest publishers, but still. Uh, the game is uh, The Godfather, Corleone's Empire. Yes. From Simon and uh, celebrity designer Eric Lang uh, of uh, Blood Rage and Rising Sun fame, amongst many others. This is a 2017 release uh, that came to uh, the market with much hype. It was uh, not the direct follow-up to Blood Rage for uh, Eric Lang, but it was one of just a few games that he put out uh, shortly after Blood Rage came out. So the hype... Uh, around Blood Rage, the hype around Eric Lang and Simon was really high, and this was going to be a big new game from him with a with a flashy IP, the Godfather uh, movie uh, license, complete with the likeness of uh, Marlon Brando's Godfather there on the cover, and all of that. And I remember the game coming out being generally well reviewed, and then mostly falling off the radar of gamers and kind of being forgotten about and it had sort of the same trajectory in our game group we picked it up at that time played it exactly one time in a game night and then it disappeared onto the shelf never to be seen again and it seemed sort of forgettable uh i'm not really sure why the game uh lost steam in some respects i think it was probably too expensive for the game that it was when it came out it has some uh as you would expect from Simon, it has some gorgeous minis, but also somewhat infamously has these 10 suitcases. Uh, not 10, the number 10. 10, the metal 10. It has these metal suitcases that are part of the game mechanic where you stash money inside these suitcases. And it's a fun mechanic, but it's also a extremely uh, indulgent design choice because I'm sure it made the overall manufacture and shipping of the game much more expensive which was passed on to consumers it also is a bit more straightforward in some ways than blood rage and i think if people were coming to it straight from blood rage maybe it didn't feel as thinky or as much depth but in the years since i think it's uh aged quite well we played it on sunday i don't want to spend all episode uh, blabbing on about this but uh essentially you play uh as you would expect various uh crime families trying to take control of new york city 
It's a combination of area control and worker placement. So you're dropping uh, your operatives, your thugs down at various businesses to shake them down to get resources. You also play your uh, crime family bosses down on these little nodes that give them control over various sectors in town. And so it is an interesting game of trying to figure out where you want to prioritize your energy because you can play toward the area control side and score points, but you also want to be gathering resources to score jobs and get money. But you also want to be constantly on the alert because at any moment the game can get shockingly violent. Car bombs, drive-bys, shootings. Uh, it's a really, it's a game where you're never safe. The board's in constant flux. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. Richly thematic great components i think this one uh, is worth a critical reappraisal and since it's been a few years i noticed it's very affordable on amazon these days or uh, maybe even at your friendly local game store so if you're looking for something that just kind of outside of the uh elves uh magic vikings uh space stuff that we typically play just like a slightly different thematic uh genre this is definitely worth a look this is a game that I really enjoyed playing. I was actually just going back through the Dice Pirates old list, you know, old post that you made in March of 2019. We made a post about the game, and the last line, this game will definitely make it back to the table soon. Unfortunately, that didn't quite age well, but I am ex I would love to play that game again because it's it was, like you said, it was very thematic. I can't really say anything that you haven't already said, but one of the things that I really enjoy about the game is as your workers, as the people you send out into the city, you know, as they get taken out one by one, the bodies get thrown into the Hudson River. And so over the course of the game, you begin to this growing pile of workers that have been taken out throughout the course of the game, just growing in the river. And by the end of the game, it's just the, the whole entire river is just clogged with them because the car bombs keep going off and the corrupt police chiefs keep throwing people in. It, yeah, it, it, it's a crazy game. It's awesome. You know, it didn't. You, you did not physically have to have this metal suitcase. It, on one hand, it feels unnecessary. But on the other hand, it feels incredibly necessary because it's so cool to like open it up to stick your money in, and uh, it actually serves this wonderful purpose of obscuring entirely who's winning the game. You sort of know that okay, that person seems to be stashing a lot of money, but you can't really keep track of how much. You also, I, if you're me and you don't really keep track of numbers very well, I completely forgot how much money I had put in the suitcase over the course of the game. And so the experience actually of opening the little suitcase and dumping your cash out, and counting it, was like Christmas morning. And then I realized that I had won. <laughs> I was like, nobody was more shocked. Oh, so now we know this is a work of fiction. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> so, just because you weren't there, Ian. It's a it's a fantastic game for for sure. I I definitely would be interested in playing it again. We'll have to get that to the table next time we're together. I actually have a very quick soapbox that I'd like to throw out there. Nothing too big. I just want to let you guys know that I actually decided to back my first Kickstarter ever. It's not a small one. We did talk about this on the new show last Monday, the Avatar Legends Kickstarter, the one that's going to be taking place in the Avatar Last Airbender world currently has exceeded five million dollars so i'm sorry so in the past week it's it's raised another three mil on top of what it was yes in the past week it has raised an additional three million dollars it's a five million dollars now so a lot of other people are also deciding to jump onto it i fully admit that i'm on the bandwagon on this one but i'm really excited for it i think it's really cool i love the idea of getting to, to play in that world that's something that i always wanted to do in D&D itself and so it's exciting to get to work within a framework that's designed to make that happen so I, I, I backed that and I'm looking forward to that a lot 
Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm excited for you. I we, I think we both pledged on the show to back a board game, uh, to back a Kickstarter this year. So I have to uh, make good on that at some time before the end of the year. Got a few more months here. Uh, Aaron sent me a cool game that uh, uses the Merkborg rule set, and I'm, I'm eyeballing that, but I haven't committed. So I'm gonna wait uh, until I commit. But uh, I think I'm an, I'm also gonna be uh, back on my first Kickstarter here uh, very soon. Meanwhile, I've backed like two more since we started recording, so... Well, I'm definitely excited to hear what you do decide to back eventually, Matt, and I'm sure we will talk about that when it gets there. Aaron, you do have a soapbox for us, so we're going to go ahead and move on to that as well. I do. It's 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 a little less of a soapbox, more of a eulogy. Um, if, you've, if you've listened to every episode of the podcast, then, you know, thanks. I used to be a member of Simon's board game demo team. They would bring us out to conventions, you know, all across the country and have us teach people the new hotness and the classic hits. And I just recently, it uh, it hasn't been announced. I've known for a couple weeks. I was going to wait to see if they said anything. Didn't think they would. Uh, but Simon is formally, officially, and completely ending their own demo team. Um, it's not super surprising to a lot of us just because... Asmodee has their own crew of people that does that, and uh, since Asmodee handles Simon's uh, U.S. distribution, it just kind of makes sense. Um, also, and this is news to both of you, um, I am very sad to report that Simon Expo is also no more. That's a that that's a genuine tragedy, actually. Yes, yes, it was. It was, in my humble opinion, the best little convention. It was. A fantastic show. It was cheap as chips to get into because, like all of the vendors, it was just you were buying stuff from Simon. So it was it was basically a trade show that anybody could walk into. But there was such a great vibe at that show. Oh man, I I agree. I uh, let, let me join in uh, pouring uh, pouring some old Milwaukee out for the Simon Expo because uh, that was a truly yeah it was a humble little expo down in atlanta georgia so for southeast based uh board gamers like us it was a great accessible not too crowded expo my favorite times at that expo were the after hours i mean the the stuff when the floor was running their demo and all the Simon games was obviously cool there were a lot of great offerings every year but really like when they would just open the floor for people just to play games and nerd out was fantastic and because it wasn't super crowded it was easy to saddle up to the table and and play whatever and meet different folks so uh Wow, that's a real bummer, but I sort of get it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm sure that it's expensive to run, and as so many other things, they've been absorbed to the corporate behemoth of Asmodee, which seems to be on a endless quest to make all things bland and homogenized in board gaming. What are we going to do, guys? Are we just going to start a Dice Pirates Expo? I mean, is that the next thing? Stay tuned, America. I'm just saying, like, in five years, that might be, like, the world's greatest called shot. Make sure to tune back in in five years and see where we're at with that, guys. Um, <laughs> that's definitely sad news, though. I'm definitely disappointed to hear that. I wish I'd had the chance to go. I think to cheer ourselves up, we should play some bitter board gamers before we get into our main topic. Of course, this is the game where I read out some one-star reviews from some gamers who just didn't quite get the point, And you guys try to guess what game they're from. Y'all ready? Let's yes. do this. Okay, so your first review. Do-it-yourself kitchen backsplash the game. Seriously? 
I guess the gaming industry is running out of ideas, just like Hollywood is with movies. That is the worst take on that game I've ever heard. It's not 100% wrong, but like... That's so reductive and unfair <laughs> to uh, a delightful game. It can, it's got to be... We'll say it together. It's got to be Azul. Yeah, it's got to be Azul, right? It is, in fact, Azul. I, get, I gave you guys an easy one for the first one, but that was my favorite <laughs> review that I found out of the whole one. Kitchen Backsplash, the game. Also, I'd love to have a Kitchen Backsplash that lovely as some oh, yeah. Azul tiles. Those are great. Those things are, those things are wonderful. I do have one more quick one for you. Maybe I should have started, started with this one, but the second review that I have is you can just have fun with it, in which case you lose, or you can do the math, in which case you have no fun. That's... That's like a third of board games, is what you've just yeah. described. That sounds, like, that sounds like every one of that sounds like every one of Ian and uh, Max's favorite games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so we know it was was designed by Vital, so let's narrow it down for yeah. me. Uh, so it's a Vital had heard game. Oh, is this game joyless and full of like advanced <laughs> mathematics? Oh, sorry, no, that was that was the second review of Azul. I, I wanted to read that one. What? What? That's the review of Azul. That was a review of Azul. That's not even. Now I'm upset. <laughs> now that, I don't consider that game to be mathy. Like, what's mathy about That review about was it? so far off the mark. You guys thought I was talking about a new game. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that went. I went into like uh, that. That sent my brain down a, a whole different path. I don't see how. I don't. I, I mean, I guess like every game that deals with patterns is is math. But that game is so aesthetically pleasing and like chill that like I, it doesn't feel mathy in the way that like other games do i need to immediately retract my former statement because that is officially the worst take on like anything that i've ever heard yeah it doesn't even make what that's that's ridiculous all right so we're going to move on to our second game this is a new game guys just so you are aware we are moving on to our next one and i actually have several reviews that we'll probably get to although you might guess it quickly we'll see how this goes your first review hard to believe how this is anything but the worst to anyone else playing with toys for no apparent reason. Yay? I looked at the one rating description again. Awful. Defies game description. Yup. I have rated this 100% correctly. Avoid at all costs. Wow. Playing with toys. So this was made by Simon. Right, right. So it's, it's it has, got minis. It has, so, it has so many minis. Do I like this game? Would I like this game? You, you feels would like something like this I would game. like. It feels like something I would like. If I don't already <laughs> like it, I'm like, I'm like, I kind of want to play this already. Did did we just backdoor Descent into this episode too? Descent is not the game I swore to never mention on the show, and I have I've kept that promise. That that's true. That's true. You have. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and read your second one because, of course, that is very vague. But I'm amazed at how you were actually able to narrow it down because you are on the right path. All right, this next one's a little bit longer, but. I like this one a lot, so here we go. If you are new to this game, it can be a miserable experience, as anyone with experience has somewhat of a clue what to do, and you might not notice how badly they are messing your plan up. In my first game, I completely messed up a guy's plan by not taking an action. But since I didn't fight, he couldn't fight, and his game was set back. This game honestly feels worse than Monopoly to me, and that it is my most hated game ever. I have a guess. Feels... Feels uh, that feels like an extreme reaction to this, uh, and again, a really unfounded uh, comparison to Monopoly. We see that a lot on here. Aaron, do you got any thoughts? I mean, the the Monopoly of it makes me go to Talisman, but I don't think Talisman has minis. 
Well, it does have minis, but also I feel certain that this is I feel hundred percent certain this is a Seamon game. And yeah. I feel I feel like he's talking about Rising Sun. No, it is not Rising Sun. Oh, I got oh. you on this one. Alright. I got one more review for you that should give it away. The game has many card to play, but I can't play because not enough the rage. Not enough the rage. Not enough is, the rage. Is it I mean, blood rage, right? It's got to be blood rage. It is, in uh, fact, blood rage. How? Uh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, I guess that was obvious when he said he couldn't fight and messed, he didn't fight and mess up the other person's strategy. That's a classic. Uh, that's a classic blood rage uh, quandary. For some reason, it made me think of uh, the thing in uh, Rising Sun where you can just like commit seppuku instead of like fighting you can fake somebody to a fight and like kill yourself but those yeah. are very similar so i was on the i was on the path for sure no, they're, they're similar games for sure i do have one last review that i really enjoyed but unfortunately there's no way i could read it without you guys guessing it immediately so this is a broken game you win this game every time if you get all your players into the ragnarok and lose the most battles winning battles is the worst thing you could do as a viking warrior apparently the theme of the game does not work at all with the mechanics and scoring i would think that the winner would be the last one standing but what would i know that's actually very fair curses of blood rage <laughs> but i mean the the ascending to valhalla that's that's so on brand that's a hundred percent like having your warriors ascend to the to the the eternal feast like that's that could not be more correct well yes and no uh but still vikings didn't like want to lose they might want to die a battle it would be their preferred way to die but they didn't necessarily want to lose battles whereas blood rage disproportionately incentivizes the intentionally lose strategy you can score a ton of points if you just go all in on the I'm just going to lose every fight strategy, which is a weird uh, thing. Uh, that's why it's kind of the anti-war game, actually, in some ways. But I still love Blood Rage. Oh, yeah. I feel like we've seen a lot of similar style games. You know, Rising Sun, it, it has a, a similar mechanic. Scythe, I think, in many ways is very much similar to that, where fighting is... Well, in Blood Rage, you do it a lot, but a lot of these games, losing is often the better thing, or at the very least, you don't want to fight if you don't have to, so it really kind of flips the script. But those are our games. I thought we had some pretty good ones there. We are, of course, going to go ahead and move on to our main topic. We're going to point out some good video games if you're a board game fan. We're going to get to that, and we'll be right back in just a minute. All right, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates, and we're going to be diving into our main topic today, which is video games for people who like board games. So we're not talking uh, necessarily digital uh, board game adaptations, but video games that kind of scratch some of that same uh, itch as board games that we all love. Aaron, this was uh, this was sort of a topic that you uh, brought to the table. Tell us a little more about this, and I'm glad that we're getting a chance to talk about this because you've gotten me terribly addicted to one of the games that is on this list. So uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is something that you know, as the the resident solo aficionado slash person with no friends to play games with in real life, uh, obviously anything that I can play on a on a computer by myself. It's going to definitely appeal to me. Um, so this isn't going to be about, like Matt said, this isn't going to be digital versions of physical games. I feel like 
that's almost an episode unto itself. Uh, this is also not going to be your your Hearthstones, your Loons of Runeterras, your collectible card games that exist digitally, because that's that's just its own uh, bucket of worms. These are games that don't exist physically. You can only play them in an electronic format. There, there are some of them that probably could be abstracted into a physical board game, but there's just a lot of things about them. They, they work better being represented in ones and zeros rather than plastic and cardboard. There's a lot to enjoy, you know, for, for, for somebody who really is into board games but hasn't really fussed around much with, you know, buying games on Steam. I think that there are a lot of things to like about these games. Uh, you know, you've got the same emphasis on being able to, to you have to, to make important decisions. You have to take your time, but you also have to try and move quickly. You have to think about things. I know, particularly when I'm playing a solo game, I have a bad tendency to like, oops, I didn't mean to do that. And video games will really help keep you honest about a lot of things. Um, which, you know, is, is makes the game itself more <laughs> enjoyable because you have to you have to live with your losses rather than just optimally work your way through. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really enjoy a lot, like you said, about those solo games where when you are playing on the computer, it does restrict you and it does keep you, like you said, honest a lot. That's actually coming from having played video games more often before I really got into the board gaming hobby. That's something that I, I, I think I appreciated a lot about playing board games with people is a lot of these similar ideas. Like one of the things in, in a lot of the games that we're going to be talking about, you have a lot of these mechanics that I think there's similar feelings to this idea of permanence. You don't necessarily get to undo things. You make a decision and then you have to live with it. You tend to, ha you often have a lot of these games that we're gonna talk about that are also quicker to play. You can play through them and then it's over. That was your session. Additionally, you also are gonna focus on replayability with these games because of course, that's kind of the point of a board game is you wanna be able to pull it out you know, every week or whenever you wanna pull it out, play it every time. So you need a game that you can play constantly as well. And I think also a big one for me is kind of focusing on a very tactical, like strategical play style. Obviously not in not in every game, but you do tend to have, with most board games, because it's slower, there is a lot of focus on planning things out and thinking about it. So a lot of the games we're going to talk about really reflect those mechanics. And of course, one of the first styles of games that we're going to talk about is the roguelike deck builder. Okay, so that's a lot of terms, but of course everyone knows what a deck builder is. You're going to be getting new cards, you're going to add them to a deck, you're going to try and build the best deck you can, but what's a roguelike? Aaron, I know you as well as I are both huge fans of the roguelike genre. What's a roguelike game? To, to keep from getting too bogged down in, in the history of rogue and roguelikes versus roguelites, a roguelike game is essentially uh, a game where you are going to be running through a relatively simple dungeon over and over and over and over again. The expectation is you're not going to quote-unquote beat the game for a while. You're going to go a bit, you're going to die, you're going to start over. But every time you start over, you have made some sort of progress that then retroactively applies to your character. Uh, you're unlocking new cards, you're unlocking new equipment, you're finding out... I mean, even... It even just rewards the knowledge of what you're facing because you've had to fight this guy 15 times in a row and you know now, okay, well, I need to focus on this strategy for this fight 
because if I go with the other way that I've been playing, he's just going to body me immediately. So that's the roguelike game, really in a nutshell. Something you can do over and over again, and you learn more as you go. So there's actually going to be a couple games that we're going to pull out. But the first game that we want to talk about is actually Dream Quest. Now, Dream Quest is, you could definitely say, kind of the predecessor of a lot of the deck-building roguelike-type games. Aaron, I know this is a game that you enjoy. Tell us a little bit about Dream Quest. Yes, Dream Quest. If you if you go to your computer, your device that you're listening to right now, and you go to Google, you search for Dream Quest game, you're going to see some screen caps, you're going to see the art, and you're going to be like, wow, that is that really the game that that they're talking about? And it is. The artwork is terrible for this game. It's garbage. Your main character is literally just a stick figure that moves around. That having been said, Dream Quest is absolutely the game that launched a thousand ships. This was the first roguelike deck builder because when it came out, that wasn't a thing. Like if you look at early reviews, no one calls it a roguelike deck builder because that wasn't a genre yet. It hadn't been established. It is absolutely a, a fantastic game that I think is still worth playing even today, even with games that have come after it that do what it does better. It really set the the template for roguelike deck builders you have a deck of cards that you're building up over the course of the game your you know removal of cards from your deck is is difficult and usually expensive there are 20 or 30 different character classes uh, most of which most people probably won't ever even know about because you have to accomplish specific goals in order to unlock them, um, which is actually something that I think other games do better. Rather than requiring you to accomplish a specific task to unlock something, basically all other roguelike deck builders just reward you for continuing to play through the game and getting a little bit better each time you play. Um, it, was, it was developed by one guy, uh, Mr. Peter Whalen, who actually got a job working on Hearthstone and continues to work at Blizzard uh, to this day. It's a fantastic game for sure. If you are interested in giving it a try, because I mean, it still is a decent game. If you can get past the art, there's still a lot to love there. And of course, like Aaron said, there's a lot of depth to it overall. It's $10 on Steam if you want to go and play it. Of course, moving on to the second game in the deck building roguelike games this is a very similar game but this is a much newer game and it's one that has really taken over that entire genre and has been definitely the most popular game in that space and one of the most popular indie games ever of course we're talking about slay the spire this game came out in 2017 aaron you and i both love this game we convinced matt to give it a try matt you have had an absolute blast getting into this game the last couple weeks. You've been telling me all about it. Just kind of, how do you feel about this game? What do you love most about it? What is your big takeaway from it? Oh, man. Well, you know, when you're talking about a video game that captures the feel, the addictive, like, fun feel of sitting down and playing a great board game with your friends, I think Slay the Spire is the best board game-like video game that I've ever played. It's similar to Dream Quest in that it is a deck builder at its heart. And it also kind of loosely simulates a dungeon crawl. You're trying to uh, climb the titular spire and on each floor running into some kind of encounter, battling monsters or having a random encounter in a question mark space, going shopping at the the merchant and all that stuff. And uh, when you complete a, uh, a combat encounter, 
you add a card to your deck and you slowly build up this uh, unique deck of cards that has uh, refined an interesting strategy. The great thing about it is that every time you play it, your character feels slightly different. Even if you're playing with like the same character like the fighter, you may suddenly have a character who uh, can combust himself at the end of every round to deal damage and gain strength, get stronger uh, every round, or... Uh, you have a rogue who can uh, stack uh, damage on top of themselves and has like multiple knives flinging all over the place. Or you have the weird blue uh, robot just slinging elemental attacks or uh, doing claw attacks that cycle and recycle out of your hand. There's so many different ways to play it, so many different strategies. It's just a really smart, really fun game that actually it has that addictive quality of playing a good deck building board game but against a smart and tough AI with smart patterns. And uh, gosh, there's so many layers to it. In addition to acquiring cards, you pick up relics that further enhance your character. And it's a roguelike, uh, so it is different every time you play it. The exact pattern of enemies, the things you find. There's weird secrets to be found, characters to unlock, uh, mysteries. There's a, a whole act to the game that I haven't even seen yet because I'm not good at it. And I haven't beat it uh, with the final with uh, one of the primary characters. So... Uh, I don't know, man. I uh, I love this game. Uh, it is so fun to uh, pick up and play, and uh, it really, really feels good to play it. I knew when I pitched this episode that we would run the risk of it just being the Dice Pirates talk about Slay the Spire for four and a half hours, uh, because we all do love the game very much. Um, Slay the Spire is, is absolutely, I would say, the singularly most popular game that we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, a lot of games have come out after it that when they're talked about, when you know, when you talk about roguelike deck builder, Slay the Spire is the game that everything gets compared to. Or it's the reference point of, oh, have you played Slay the Spire? Well, this is like that, but blank. Yeah, the game really casts a super long shadow that absolutely i mean it makes perfect sense that we're going to talk about it here and i think one of the things that slay the spire does extremely well and matt you alluded to this is is that it cuts down the number of characters that you can play to three originally and a fourth that you unlock as you move forward with the story of the game i say story there's not so much a story there's a very loose narrative that's tied to the process of playing the game but it's more about the process of you learning and understanding the game. And that's one of the things that's most exciting to play this is because every single enemy that you fight, they all have patterns to them. It's very similar to playing a board game where you have you have defined ways that your enemies are going to attack, things that they're going to do. And so as you move and as you learn, you know exactly what to expect as you play the game. For instance, on each act of which there are three, there are hard enemies. There's extra hard enemies called elites. There's only three that you can fight on any given stage, and they're always going to be the same three. But once you fight one, you can't fight it again. And so understanding that and planning for the next one becomes a part of the game as you start to learn more about it. There's a lot of these small mechanics to the game that just they build on it, and so you feel yourself getting better. And that's one of the things that I like most about this roguelike genre is just because as you play the game, it's not designed to be easy. It's not designed to be a win every time. But the more you play, the satisfaction of getting better at the game and feeling yourself just knowing more and being able to go further is so so satisfying i play this game on my phone a lot it is my go-to time waster and i recently picked it up on sale on steam because 
I wanted to own it twice. Why not? And so I jumped in, and my first game ever, I was able to go to the very end, and I was able to beat it. And that's so cool, because it, you realize that you've learned so much about the game that what initially seemed insurmountable has become a lot more easy to process and that's such a cool feeling and i'm excited to get to continue to hear more from you matt as of course you proceed through the game and as you get better at it i'm not gonna get any better at it i realized my uh i realized my weakness in this game is that uh, i love the little endorphin rush of going like ooh, a new card and like adding it to your deck and i think the key to being good at this is i know not i think i know the key to being good at this is getting like a really tight like deck that has like very little filler and it just is like an engine that churns so the, the cards you need like comes up reliably but i can't stop myself from being like ooh, i like that what does that do and so then by the end of the day i'm heading into like the act three boss with like 42 cards <laughs> You know, too like, many cards, Matt. That's too many this cards. This is not. Uh, this is not gonna. I was like, this is not gonna go well. Not, not forty-two. I did win with. I looked back through my records, and I beat the Act Three boss with a thirty-eight card deck, which is actually insane. I don't know how I pulled that off. That's a big deck. Slay the Spire really is an amazing game for sure. Of course, it's twenty-five bucks on Steam. Definitely worth taking a look at if you're interested in all in deck building games. Of course, it's often frequently discounted, so keep an eye out for that. If you're interested, if you just don't want to pick it up yet, I definitely keep it on your wish list. But I do want to move on to talk about tactical strategy games, games that don't focus on decks, but they do focus on the moment-to-moment -moment strategy within a defined space. One of the games that I really want to focus on is Into the Breach. This is a game that I personally love. I put quite a bit of time into this. It came out in 2018, and it was made by the same developers who made Faster Than Light, which came out in 2012. Another amazing game that I think has similar aspects to it, but doesn't fit quite as well as Into the Breach. So Into the Breach is a turn-based combat game where you play a group of three mechs piloted by time travelers and your goal is to save the world from an alien invasion so the story is basically that you are from the future you fail to stop the alien invasion you're sent back in time to try and save a new timeline and you have these different mech groups that all have like different powers and so you'll have three mechs to work with you're dropped onto a map it's a small grid that has various buildings on it that you need to protect obstructions like mountains that you can't get around but you can't destroy and then you have aliens that come down and are either going to attack you or they're going to attack the buildings and you have to figure out how to stop them this game is very much just a board game in digital form i feel in, in many ways and i would say that if there was ever a game desperate for a simon type mini release i would say it's 100 percent this game because you have your mechs and you have your aliens and they're all very larger than life they're huge creatures and they all have very telegraphed movements your mechs have very specific things that they can do and you can upgrade them but they still have basic move sets that you work around you can throw the enemies to one side or the other you can drop a smoke cloud that prevents them from attacking and it confuses them you can immobilize them you can freeze them you can just straight up attack them or punch them you have lots of these different movements and turn to turn you're just trying to succeed in staving them off for a limited number of turns uh, then you move on to the next map where you have a new set of objectives it's still the same size it keeps it very basic but there's a lot of strategy there i'm curious aaron have you played this game or have you heard of it or what do you think about this game in particular yes i have played uh i have played into the breach i played it real heavy back when it first came out 
you know, to kind of key off of our, our last set of games, it is a fantastic roguelike strategy game, kind of, sort of. Because each time the fight is going to be, you'll you'll know what you're up against, you'll you'll know what your objectives are, but the specific layout and the specific, you know, who you're going to be facing are kind of randomized game to game and encounter to encounter. And the the story of it being, you know, you're coming from the end of the war after you've lost, t- traveling through time back to the beginning. That is is a kind of used, you know, it's 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 a narrative trapping for how come you're able to keep starting over, and how come you're able to go back and redo a fight again, uh, you know, because in 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 other games in this, you know, you're generally you're playing through a campaign. And while there might be a click in the special options in the menu to replay a specific fight or whatever, with Into the Breach, you can keep going back and redoing things. Uh, you actually, and copying how other games in the genre work, if you manage to keep your guys alive until the end of the fight, then they will progressively become stronger and get their, their mechs will get new abilities. You know, again, going back to kind of the strategy game of it all, where you are rewarded not just for grinding your way through the game, but actually getting better and being able to play smarter, which is, it's it's a fantastic entry into this because a lot of tactical strategy games are going to last two and a half hours per session, whereas Into the Breach especially the earlier missions, you can knock it out in like 15, 20 minutes. You know, this is a, a fantastic, it actually is, yeah, so it's actually uh, available on Nintendo Switch, which is um, where I played a lot of it, and it's a fantastic little lunch break game. You know, you just bust that out, play through the next mission, and you're back to your desk before your boss even notices you were gone. It's a really tightly designed small game, and I think what really draws me towards it, what makes me feel the very board game aspect of it is that it really focuses a lot on resource management and very careful planning of your turns. There are energy cores that you can upgrade your mechs with, and you can change them out in between missions, but within the mission, you're locked to those specific movesets that they have. And so each turn, you need to decide if you're going to take damage on your mech and how much you can be willing to take. And just the the thought involved in the planning there is really tightly designed. It's so smooth. And I feel like it really translates perfectly a lot of what I personally love about board games into a fantastic video game. Definitely a game to keep an eye out for if you're interested in that more methodical, slower approach to games. If you enjoy the tabletop RPGs, definitely something you should think about. We're going to move on to the final genre we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some social deduction games, whether it be Werewolf or any of the myriad other hidden role games that are in classics within board gaming. And I know, Aaron, you put a couple out here that you want to talk about, so lead us off with some of those. So arguably, uh, the, the one of the two official games of the pandemic, at least in the early months, alongside Animal Crossing, was Among Us. A very mechanically very simple... I mean, it's, it's a werewolf on a spaceship. You uh, control a little guy going around a ship completing missions, somebody is a murderer, and they have to try and murder everyone else before they get caught and voted out of the spaceship, flung into the cold depths of space. You have almost certainly at least heard of this game before. This this 
captured the zeitgeist uh, for a few months last year. But I think it's there's something about social deduction games that really appeals to a lot of people because it's less about the game itself and more about the people you're playing with. It's it's all about learning how to read other people's reactions to things and how to beguile them into thinking a certain way. It's I mean, I think it's like $5 on Steam and if you download it onto your phone, it's completely free. It just has ads. Uh so the barrier for entry could not be lower. Genuinely a lot of fun, especially you can play it online versus random people. It is at its peak when you're playing with people that you know and you can talk to them outside of the game and communicate in real time and have those those werewolf-like arguments of, oh, well, I saw Jenny run off down this hallway all by herself, and then three minutes later, Tom was dead, so I don't know what's up with that. Obviously, in that situation, you do have to go by honor rules where Tom is not, not allowed to say, yes, Jenny killed me, because that kind of ruins the game, but it's a fantastic addition to your video game library. It's definitely tempting to kind of write this off as one of those games that was just the, the kitty game or the, the game that everybody played for a bit, but there is a lot to love about this game. And I think, especially like you said, Aaron, if you get a group of people to play with you, that's where it really shines. And that definitely differs, especially, I mean, social deduction games primarily are, are more party games. And that's definitely different from a lot of what else we've been talking about. But if you have your group, it can be such a fun experience. And Among Us really does do a good job of distilling that down into the the very essence of that, the, running around and completing the tasks that you are personally given and following other people around and seeing, well, are they doing their tasks or are they just pretending to do them? Can I trust them or not? And never wanting to be alone with one other person, always making sure you're in a group or being by yourself. There's a real sense of tension there that I think actually in many ways, if you're playing with a group of people that you know, I think this is in many ways better than a lot of the tabletop social deduction games just because of the kind of almost terror that you get moving around when somebody starts following you down a hallway. It's it's actually quite scary. So I definitely think this is worth giving a shot, like Aaron said, free on your phone so you can get a bunch of people in a room to play it. A great way to bring that out. It's $5 on Steam. It often, once again, gets discounted because it's been out for some time. Less people are playing it now. So definitely something worth giving a shot. For our last segment, I just want to move on to our honorable mentions. These are games that wasn't really enough to uh, spend a whole segment talking about, but these are just games that I wanted to to mention and touch on that are our particular favorites in my library. Um, Continuing from social deduction games, there's a game that just recently came out on Switch. It's called Gnosis. But it's G-N-O-S-I-S. I may be saying that wrong. It's a social deduction game where you're on a spaceship. One person's been replaced by an alien that looks exactly like the real person. But it's a single-player game. So sometimes you are, most of the time, you are just trying to kind of visual novel style talk to your crewmates and just suss out from them who you know, uh, just and, and piece together from, from limited information who exactly the, the replicant is. And the narrative hook is that you're running through the same day over and over Groundhog Day style, and then eventually you will make progress. There is further story to that. But at the very beginning of the game, you're kind of just failing to figure out who the alien is over and over, but it's 
it's pretty fun. Next one that I want to give a mention to is Solitarica. It's available on your phone. It's also on Steam, but I haven't bought it on Steam because I've put a thousand hours on it uh, on my phone. And it's not quite a roguelike deck builder. It's You're playing Solitaire against a monster where you have to match cards from their pile of cards that represents their life total. And you have to match that to the top card of your deck. But you have a number of different character classes that have different abilities, such as uh, destroying cards directly off the stack without having to match them, or turning your card into a wild card, being able to look underneath the very top card so you can plan your turns better and say, oh, well, I need to blow that one up so that I can keep this chain going. Because the more cards you match in a row, you get even more gold from that, which you use to buy new abilities and new items to, to buff your character. The, the last shout-out uh, is for Demio. It's D-E-M-E-O. Uh, it's a game available exclusively in VR, which I thought was uh, a cool entry for the list. It's something that my wife has been playing uh, religiously here lately. It is, at its core, it's just a D&D dungeon crawl. You've got a character, you've got a set of cards that you use, you move around a map, you know, you're, you're picking up what are basically just miniatures, moving them to the squares. Whenever you attack, you have to, like, pick up and roll this chunky die that goes everywhere. It's tremendously a lot of fun. There's something about being encapsulated in the game of the world seeing your friends, you know, avatars float around and move through space. It does a fantastic job of replicating the feeling of playing games with other people while you are just sat comfortably on your couch in your underwear. That's a game that actually looks really cool. I wish I owned a VR headset because that seems like a really cool idea and I love getting really drawn into the game itself that's really fascinating a lot of really good games here for sure i think especially you know within the pandemic last year we all definitely got a little bit pulled away from the social board gaming that we really enjoyed and of course solo board gaming something that we both love something that we really enjoy but sometimes you do just really love to scratch that itch i think there's a lot to love with these various games that we've talked about Hopefully you can find something here that maybe you haven't heard of before, something you might be interested in trying out, and I definitely think it's worth giving some of these a shot. So those are some games that you should definitely check out if you enjoy board gaming, if you're interested in something that can scratch that same itch, but you may not be able to get some other people or you just don't want to play a solo board game. Lots of options out there and some that we definitely enjoy ourselves. We, of course, are always grateful to Aaron for coming on. We always appreciate it. Matt, if people want to reach out to us, where can they do that? All right. You can find us on Instagram, at Dice Pirates. Uh, we're there all week, uh, posting mini-reviews, updates on what we're playing, uh, silliness, the occasional respectable amount of cat footage and photos. So check us out, at Dice Pirates, and send us a message and a comment. We would love to hear from you. We always appreciate hearing from you guys. It means a lot to us that you guys do continue to listen. Of course, if you have not checked it out yet, we do have our news segment that came out last week. It will be coming out uh, coming Monday as well, so definitely give that a shot if you're interested in a short-form discussion on the news that's coming out. And as always, we'll be back in two weeks for another discussion on board games. So until then, we'll be right here on the Dice Pirates. Mm-hmm.